so Drew gave me uh, uh, Drew gave me the sermon title, whether he knew it or not. Um, a couple minutes ago, he made reference to the best laid plans, and how um, you know it's kind of a joke this year with um, with COVID just upending every plan that we have. Um, but it really is the perfect title uh, for this uh, uh, for this sermonian about how Jesus uh, commissions and sends out the 72 disciples to prepare the way for him as he marches to Jerusalem and how uh, as much as it might not have made sense to them at the time uh, why he was doing what he was doing, Jesus's plans truly are the best laid plans. Okay, so we're going to jump in now. I'm going to say a quick prayer because I need it. Um, although the grubs did an awesome job, I need to pray myself. Uh, so please join me in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much uh, for uh, for today. Thank you for the ability to uh, to meet together. Thank you for all of the blessings of fellowship. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the comfort and encouragement uh, and guidance and even warning that it gives us. I pray, Lord, that we will um, pray that we will find what we need to find in it today. Pray that you will use your word uh, to uh, to speak to everyone gathered here today. Um, pray that, uh, God, I pray that we can all meet back together uh, very soon safely. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've forgotten how strange it is to have absolutely no feedback from anybody, um, but thank you, Drew. And if anybody else wants to say anything in the chat, I'll have it right up there and I need it. So give me some energy to feed off of. Um, so Jesus's life can be divided into four parts in the Gospel of Luke. Um, the, the first few chapters are, of course, his birth, which we celebrated this Advent season, up through his baptism. And that takes place, obviously, in Bethlehem and in probably in the south side of the, uh, of the Jordan River, where he's baptized by John. And then, and then his life moves up north uh, to Nazareth, and he begins his public ministry. He calls the Twelve. Uh, he teaches. He heals. And he does that all in the north region in Galilee, near the Sea of Galilee. Hey, thanks, Audrey. Zap, awesome, cool. I got the energy. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, and then the third stage of his life is the march to Jerusalem, uh, ending in his death and resurrection. And it's really there we go. And it's really this march to Jerusalem that begins now. It's the hinge point of the Gospels. Um, where Jesus asks his disciples, "Who do you say I am?" And then he sets his face to Jerusalem in Luke 9 chapter uh, in Luke chapter 9 verse 51 we don't know why this was the time that Jesus decided now is the time when I must go all we know is that Jesus knew it and that he had a great sense of urgency about it um, he sent messengers ahead of him uh, into the Samaritan villages to prepare the way for him in the end of chapter 9 hey Larry thank you um, Jesus had a date to keep in Jerusalem uh, but he didn't seem to go in a straight line. He used this stage of ministry as an opportunity not just to get from point A to point B, but to do something brand new. The uh, the the idea of setting your face is a is a is an idiom. It's a it's a figure of speech, meaning he looked at Jerusalem and he was he was focused and determined, and he knew exactly what he was going to do. He had the best laid plans. Until this point. Uh, in his life, Jesus had limited himself in his ministry to the north to the north end of Israel, from his base in Capernaum. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little slideshow wizardry. Let's see if it works. Yeah, yes, from his base 
uh, in Capernaum. He did um, uh, he did mission work uh, in the towns of Chorazin, Bethsaida. Um, he would even um, uh, he would even cross over uh, in, into um, into this into the land of the Gentiles on the east side. The main cities in Galilee, Magdala and Tiberias, are never mentioned in the Gospels, which has always been kind of a mystery. Did he? Did Luke just not bother to mention Jesus's activity in the main cities of Galilee, or were, or did he bypass them entirely for his own reasons? We just don't know. Of course, he um, he crossed over the Sea of Galilee into Gennesaret. Um, he returned briefly and unsuccessfully to his hometown of Nazareth. If you remember in Luke four, no prophet, uh, a prophet has no honor in his own household. Ironically, when he crossed the Sea of Galilee uh, into uh, uh, in, into where the Gerasenes lived, uh, he had a lot more success. Um, he he healed the demoniac, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, and that man went on to tell the whole village about him, prefiguring what uh, prefiguring how the Christian gospel would be spread throughout the world. One or two or three people would go and be changed, and then they would go tell everybody. Um, and then, of course, in uh, Luke 7, he goes a little bit south into Nain, uh, where he heals a widow's son. And it says in Luke 7 that the news about him spread throughout Judea, that is, to the south, which is, um, which is interesting. That's also kind of a, like the message about Jesus had, has started to get out, even though he's not physically there. So there are already, there's already whisperings. There's already rumors. There's some guy up north, and he's, he, he might be coming. And then, uh, of course, in Cana, in uh, uh, towards the beginning of the Gospel of John, he celebrates a wedding there. So that's you know all four Gospels are in agreement. Most of his early, most or all of his early ministry seem to be up north. Okay, but now it's time to prepare the way. He wants to come south. Um, starting in verse two, Jesus said to them, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few." Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs <clears throat> in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive it, and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is the same mission that Jesus gave the twelve when he sent them out in the previous chapter. Heal the sick. The kingdom of God has come to you. Jesus's vision for this stage of his ministry was now to reach as many villages as he could on the way from Galilee into Jerusalem before he made his triumphal entry into the city and end his own life. But being limited by his own humanity, Jesus couldn't be everywhere at once, right? Uh, so he sent the 72 ahead of him. Uh, like I said, Drew made reference to uh, to the best laid plans, but Jesus's plans in this case are are amazing and they stand firm and they're the best laid plans we could possibly have. Um, he sent 
70, uh, you sent 72 men, probably just men in this cultural context, um, to visit probably 36 villages uh, in between Galilee in the north and Jerusalem, preparing the way for his final, for his final entry into Jerusalem. Um, he wanted them to go to see who was open in our in our own in our own slang now. Who's who, who's ready to receive Jesus? Who can who can who will who will allow Jesus's servants to come in and say that the kingdom is near? And then where will Jesus best spend his limited amount of time on his way to Jerusalem? So that was the plan. This is a shot from the chosen. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard only good things. And I love this picture um, because I want us to to imagine what it must have been like to be one of those 72, one of those sent disciples. So these are not the 12 who are themselves just ordinary guys, but they've been specially picked by Jesus. These 72 are the ordinary guys amongst a bunch of ordinary guys. But being, um, you know, having Jesus look at you and say, I have a special task for you. Being sent on a mission team has always been one of the hallmarks of our own movement. Uh, God chooses you. You know, you, you get this great sense of like, wow, I get to be his hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears, his mouth. Um, I get to go and advance his kingdom. Imagine Jesus looking you square in the eye and telling you, go to Arimathea, heal whoever is sick, tell everyone that the kingdom of God is coming. He says that to us now, today. Go to Lynchburg, go to Danville, go to Bristol, go to Harrisonburg, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio. One of the most exciting things about our movement is that it is still a movement. We've had some bumps, we've had some uh, some delays, we've had uh, you know we've had trouble with these best laid plans, but we are sending out mission teams still, and I'm sure that in 2021 and 2022 that's going to continue. And now maybe it sounds particularly appealing to you right now when most of us are just excited to sit down at Panera um, and that hasn't happened in, in months and months. Um, just getting out, getting able, being able to do anything would be, a, uh, would, would be awesome. Um, but in that sense, our, tech, our current situation is a lot like Jesus's. He was limited by his own humanity. He couldn't be everywhere. He couldn't do everything all at once. And right now we can't really go anywhere or do very much of anything. Uh, but there is a lot we can do. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to be a downer on that. But we are limited by our own humanity, just like Jesus was. But people will start moving again, and and there are going to be mission opportunities in the next few years. But what does this passage have to say to us here and now? in quarantine and waiting out the end of 2020. Let's reread what Jesus has to say to the 72 about depending on God. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. First thing he says, pray for more workers. 
do you pray to God to add more workers here in Charlottesville and Harrisonburg? As I was putting this together, I realized I haven't prayed this in a long, long time. I haven't prayed, you know, I've, I've been, and if we don't pray for this, we tend to focus on, on ourselves. We tend to focus on what we have to do or how we're failing to do it or the, the stresses of doing what we know we're supposed to do. God stands ready to provide more workers. He stands ready to, uh, to, to open that up. I remember, I remember praying for more workers uh, years ago and in various times and places. And then, and then you think about the, the life of the church and how it's grown here in Charlottesville and in Harrisonburg over the years. I think, wow, I remember praying for workers before the Goulds were added to the fellowship. You know, I remember praying for workers before um, Aaron uh, Kripe and, and Rashawn and Devonda and Gabby moved in from, uh, from, from Richmond and God provided workers. I remember praying for workers uh, before so many people, m many of you here were baptized here in Charlottesville. And, I'm, and I just need to sometimes just stop and think like God has been faithful to that promise. We've prayed for workers and he has provided. Do you pray to God to add more workers or do you focus on what you have to do? Because I know I'm, I'm definitely the second more than the first. Um, Jesus says to pray for protection, or he, he implies it. He says, I'm, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I think that praying for safety is pretty common for most of us by now. It's just kind of that thing that we pray for, for health, for the health of our own family, for our friends. Um, Jesus reminded the 72 that they were vulnerable on the road, so they had to move quickly, and they should pray for protection, being lambs among wolves. Um, when he says, greet no one on the road, you know, I read that and I think that's not a very disciple thing to say. Like literally what we're supposed to do all the time is greet everyone on the road to the point of annoyance. Um, but it, in, the, in this case, what it means is to not tarry, to not linger, to not be, be just talking to everybody you pass by, but rather to move with a purpose. Um, if you think that Jesus is telling us to not be friendly, that's not what he's saying. Uh, he's, echo, he's, he's actually echoing the words of Jeremiah to Jeremiah's servant Gehazi. He sends Gehazi to do something very important. Yeah, it's, it's Jeremiah. He tells him, no, no, I'm sorry. It was, I, this was not in my notes. I think it was Elisha or Elijah. I'm sure somebody can put that in the chat and correct me. That's a fun thing to do. Thank you, Drew. Elisha. Yeah, Elisha tells Gehazi, go quickly do not, you know, do not greet anyone on the road. Um, and that's what Jesus says to, to his 72 now. He also says, no money bag, no knapsack. Don't bring an extra pair of sandals. Um, assuming where the sandals you have on your feet now, don't go barefoot, but limit yourself to the bare minimum of what you need and then trust God to provide. For me, this really challenges my own sense of preparation and responsibility. For these guys, in particular, it called them to a supernatural faith. Should this be our pattern? I remember having, um, I remember talking with my uh, youth pastor um, after I got baptized. I went back, um, went back to my old uh, parents' church and, and met with the youth pastor, and we we talked about some things, um, and we wound up doing a, a mission trip together. It was in Guatemala. Um, we went out and we talked about. Um, you know, Jesus told his guys to not bring anything 
And we're, here we are bringing a whole lot of stuff. And we thought about that, like, is this the pattern that we should be that we should be following? Um, probably not. Our mission work, as, as I see it, is more in line with Paul's metaphors in, in, in his letters. We're building, we're planting, we're watering, which does require forethought, foresight, planning. Um, but it should definitely be our faith. We should definitely uh, we should definitely be relying on God and not on our own stuff, not on our own resources that we bring to the table. Jesus primed his disciples also to accept, uh, to expect, and to accept help wherever they could go. This is pretty alien to us, especially to me. I'm conditioned to be self-sufficient, and that tends to breed pride and isolation. When was the last time that you asked somebody for help? For myself, I always want to be the one offering help. I want to be the one that other people lean on. And that's all well and good. Philippians 2.4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. We should see each other as better than ourselves. That's important. But mutual need bonds people together. And I think this passage challenges me to not steal other people's opportunity to help you. Um, it's so important in 2020 and next year too, because things aren't just going to magically change. It's so important to tell other people how you're doing, to tell people what you're lacking and how they can help you. And that's a way that we can invest more deeply in people. Find ways to meet other people's needs online. Uh, take, talking with your coworkers, with your neighbors, and especially your family members, whoever you're quarantining with, whoever's in your pod, share what gives you strength and keep a prayer list. You can make, you can make uh, deliveries, you can make phone calls, and you can ask personal questions beyond just how's it going. You know, so many of us know the specific needs and the specific challenges and the specific good news and victories that each other are having. Are we following up with those personal uh, personal check-ins? How's it go? Uh, not not just how's it going, but how is your health situation? How is your work situation that I know has been troubling you? A little now, believe me, goes a very long way. I think that people will remember for years and years what what was done for them and done with them during uh, during this crazy year. It's a great opportunity for us as disciples uh, to make to make an outsized impact. And it's all about investing in people. Jesus says in verse five, I'll read it again. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. That's, that's where Jesus is saying you should expect and you should accept any help given to you. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Amen. I love that verse. I want to I want to have that like crocheted and hung up in, in my dining room. Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Imagine being one of these one of these uh, one of these two disciples sent in pairs to 36 or some villages. What's riding on that first interaction with the head of the household that you choose? Are you going to hit it off? Are you going like are you going to click? Are you going to have some kind of common interest? Will they will they feed you 
or will they show you the door? If things work out with this family, with whichever family you choose, um, you'll you'll be doing mission work out of that house for what a week, a month, for as long as it takes to heal whoever is sick, and to tell the village that the kingdom of God is coming. We feel like that every time we share our faith. At least I do. Um, whenever we make friends with a neighbor or talk to a coworker. I, I think, and I overthink it, I know I do, how's this going to go? Is this person going to be my best friend forever and ever? Or are they going to ignore me? Or are they going to reject me? And it's a lot of self-thought. Um, these disciples learned something uh, in this short amount of time that's been really hard for me. It might be hard for you too, to let your peace return to you. Let me see. Oh yeah, right. Um, think about how they would pick that home. Would they just walk into a town at random, kind of look at, that's oh, a big house, they probably have room for us. Or would they go off some existing relationship? If Jesus sent you to Arimathea, is that because you already have extended family in Arimathea? Something like that. Da, 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 da. I should have been going through these, sorry. Yeah. Um, but then the, the disciples are encouraged Put it out there. Allow yourself to be vulnerable and then let your peace be on them and then let it come back to you if it's not reciprocated. We used to say that a lot in campus ministry because there's a cycle of outreach and rejection inherent in campus ministry where you're talking with a lot of people all the time, new people, people you don't know, and it either goes well or it more often absolutely nothing happens. And then occasionally it's, it's, it's a really negative experience. And we always had to remind each other, let your peace return to you. Don't get hardened. Don't wind up seeing your classmates and the people around you as enemies. It's really not personal. It is between them and God. It's not something that, uh, <clears throat> it's not something that should, excuse me. It's not something that should be wearing us down and beating us up. We should instead be seeing like each one of these people has their own relationship to work out with God. And we're just the instrument by which we bring that relationship to the forefront and make them think about it, make them come to terms, either come to terms with God uh, in acceptance or rejection. And it's a gut check for us to let your peace return to you and then check your own heart. Luke 10, 12, uh, Luke 10 verses 12 through 15 says, I tell you, Jesus says, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town, a town that rejects you. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you shall be brought down to Hades. Sodom and Gomorrah were and still are bywords for corruption and moral evil. Tyre and Sidon, were, they were bustling trading ports, similar to, uh, similar to Corinth, if you know the back, the back story of Corinth, filled with pagan idolatry and materialism. They were on the coast. They were not predominantly Jewish. They were predominantly uh, Gentile and pagan. And so these were like, these were obviously, oh, those are the bad places. Those are going to get judged. But Jesus says that Capernaum, his own, his, his own disciples' hometown, Simon Peter's hometown, 
um, Chorazin and Bethsaida, they had experienced Jesus's presence. They were the ones who could have responded to his call over the past few years. Jesus says that judgment will be worse for those who actively reject him than for those whose sin prevented them from even hearing his call. He says, the one who hears you, hears me, and the one who rejects you, rejects me, and the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. One of the mixed blessings of, I think, of 2020 is that we've had to sit in silence and contemplation for a long time. And it's not just us. It's not just it, it's, it's not just Christians. It's literally everybody in the entire world has had to sit at home thinking deep thoughts. Now, maybe we found, maybe people find ways to ignore those deep thoughts, but those deep thoughts are happening. The soul searching is happening. What's, what's going on in those, uh, in, in, in those dark times as people are looking inward, maybe looking outward to God, thinking, what's this all about? What's life for? I bet that there are more existential crises and existential um, uh, thoughts, thinking about eternity, thinking about purpose that are happening now among the people that you've been reaching out to than literally any time ever in their lives. People are thinking, people are, are hoping, people are maybe losing hope. Maybe people are praying for the first time ever just to see what happens. Um, and what happens during those times of introspection, that is God tilling the ground, that is God uh, preparing people for, uh, to be reached out to, to be um, maybe to read that book or to have that conversation, maybe to crack open the Bible for the first time, for the first time ever. The more we're aware of Jesus's call, um, the the more upside there could be, but then also the more um, the more of a gut check it is. Like this stuff is real. I need to I, I need to check myself. I need to know where I stand. It should be a gut check for ourselves, and it should be a gut check for the people we're reaching out to as well. So the seventy two went out. They they hit up the the thirty six towns. May, give or give or take, maybe some of them hit more than one. Maybe some of them would hit one town and get kicked out, let their peace return to them, dust off their feet, go on to the next. Maybe they had to go through several towns until they found one that would accept them. But then for a week or a month, they carried out their assignment. They healed the sick and they proclaimed the kingdom of God is near. And then they all came back. First, I thought that they would stay there waiting for Jesus but Jesus's plan was to have all of them come back to him, probably up near up near the Sea of Galilee, back up to base. And they reported back to Jesus that the mission had been a success. I'm sure there was some rejection. I'm sure there was some scraping off of dust. Jesus said, expect it. But by and large, it was a success. And they said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They returned with joy. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. A whole harvest field was open in more than 30 villages between Galilee and Jerusalem, and Jesus had a clear pathway forward. His best laid plans were vindicated. He had a he had a way forward, and his ex, and don't you love it when a plan comes together? 
I'm sure that the 72 were thinking this seems like a this seems like a bad idea. If Jesus himself, our own Lord, has spent several years going up and around the Sea of Galilee, and now he's saying that Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum are going to be worse off than Sodom and Tyre and Sidon, then why in the world is he sending us in pairs to villages that, that, to villages that are new? So the 72 were thinking, how is this going to be a success when Jesus himself says that his own ministry in and around the Sea of Galilee has not been a success, that these towns and villages that he was visiting are actually doomed to destruction because they rejected him. But in fact, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was preparing 72 people to have greater impact and more success than he himself had in his own physical limitations as a human. Which And that gives me a whole lot of, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, that gives me a lot of um, that gives me a lot of faith, a lot of hope that Jesus didn't set this impossibly amazing standard of success as far as his results went. He actually set an example of perseverance through challenge and setback, and then he let the seventy-two go, and they came back like, "This is a little bit awkward, but we did better than you did." Kind of, sort of. Please don't judge me. You know, right? Um, like we actually had success where in the past we've known mostly rejection. And what joy would that have been? How exciting would that be? But Jesus, of course, always has the right perspective. Is your relationship with God contingent on circumstance? Is your relationship with God based on whether or not the last person you talked to responded favorably or negatively? And Jesus, Jesus does that check here. He's asking his people, are you going to sink or swim based on the last thing that happened to you? Or are you still stuck on one thing that went wrong or right years ago? Are you, are you able to see what God is doing here and now? Or are you still living in the past? And that's, that's a real challenge. That's a challenge for me. And we know that it was a challenge for the disciples too. We know that as much as they were riding high on a wind, we also know that a few months, probably later, they're going to be completely down and out based on based on Jesus's crucifixion. Still with me? I'm just I'm just uh, I'm just trusting in the Lord that uh, that this that this microphone is working. <clears throat> so it's time, I think, now um, to examine ourselves, just like Jesus called the seventy-two to examine themselves. It's an ideal time to examine ourselves as we take communion. In, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29, Paul writes, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For, everyone, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Let's examine ourselves. Let's consider our 2020 and rejoice. Not just that things went well or that things went poorly, because both are true, I think, for all of us. We've had ups and downs, unexpected ups, and, um, and, and, and definitely some shared, uh, some shared setbacks. But let's rejoice, like Jesus says, that our names are written in the book of life. Let's take communion together. Let's examine ourselves, and let's praise God for his best laid plans. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.